direction from the Lord um, through our elders uh, this weekend to to pray, especially for families, for households that are battling, you know, all the junk that goes around during these times. It seems like when you have little children, they're just uh, they're playing tag. They're passing <laughs> passing germs from one to the other as fast as they can. And so we just took a stand uh, yesterday and ministered healing to a lot of folks and trust that uh, you're catching a healing wherever you are. But we're going to jump into it tonight. I uh, want to talk about something that has become a key word for us at Table of Friends the last few weeks. And um, the word is simply that uh, the assignment is in the conversation. The assignment is in the conversation. And of course, what God has ordained for us is to live in conversation with him. It started with Adam and Eve. Um, and he said, I want you to walk with me in the cool of the day. Since then, he's, he's invited me, Carrie, walk with me in the cool of the day. Then I found out that the cool of the day is, is all day. It's, I thought it's morning because that's the only time it's cool in Texas, you know, for about six months out of the year. Uh, hey, uh, there's Nathan. Good to see you, Nathan. Yeah, but Janet. Uh, and, Janet, I'm Janet. Yeah, Samiedra from Mexico. Janet from from Mexico. So anyway, walking with God in conversation, and what I want to take to you to initially, we're talking about prayer, but prayer as conversation, and how do we do that, and what does that mean? Uh, all of you would be thoroughly uh, saturated in John thirteen through seventeen. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, I always thought that meant memorize the scriptures, memorize the scriptures, you know, have the scriptures on your tongue. And it, it doesn't exclude that certainly, but what I've come to see is that abiding in him and his words abiding in us, he's talking about an ongoing conversation. It's a living conversation. It's a daily conversation. And that becomes really our life of prayer. Prayer is not something you do. It's who you be in conversation with a God who is the living word. Uh, I want us to start today, though, Cheeky. I've asked Cheeky if she would just read some contrast to us. Some of you might be first time with us. Um, besides that, it's been uh, it's been a month. We've had Christmas and New Year's since we were together. And just a refresher, some contrast of how we see difference between orphan and sonship. And of course, this is not an exhaustive list, but it becomes a list that that highlights some of the key differences. And of course, it it points to why why we're having these conversations. I think what one of the things that we're discovering is that it's one thing to know intellectually, even sort of know in our heart that we're sons of God, but then walking it out uh, requires connecting the dots. Because we can say all day long, I know I'm a son, I know I'm a son, I know that I have a good father. And then when the rubber meets the road, uh, things come out. <laughs> <laughs> and 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 prayer has certainly, certainly been one of those for me. Um, as I still get challenged with, am I being too passive in prayer? But I'm getting ahead of myself. So let's go, let's talk about a, a few just contrasts. And we're just going to run through these pretty quickly just to make sure we're all on the same page in terms of what we're thinking. We obviously the fundamental idea is that our view of God determines everything else. And so for orphans, the fundamental view of God is that he is the righteous judge and he demands holiness. 
and the priorities are behavior rather than relationship. And of course, sons, when we come to know the love of a good father, we understand it or that is predicated on knowing that God is first and foremost a triune relationship of love. That God love is not something that God does, it is who God is. And so, and and in that, we see, we understand holiness as wholeness in relationship, not behavior, but wholeness of relationship. And so the relationship produces a fruit of wholeness. So orphans, because of their view of God, they believe that they must earn their way into acceptance by right behavior, mm -hmm. whereas sons living the knowing that we have been fully accepted in the beloved Jesus already. We are already accepted. We're not trying to do things in order to, but because of. So orphans obey. Obedience is about proving your love, proving your allegiance to the this demanding God. And so strict obedience is the vehicle for relationship. Whereas sons first receive the father's love, and then we love him back in a natural response. So that obedience is not a means to an end, but it is the result of first being loved. We could say that slightly differently, say that orphans see obedience as a mechanism and proof of love and faithfulness to God. And really, this is really seeing God like the pagan gods who demand proof of our allegiance. Whereas sons see obedience as a spirit-initiated response. And this is important. It's a spirit-initiated response. It's a response to the God who is present. It's a, it's a response to the God who is love. And it's a response to the internal work of transformation, which is the work of the Holy Spirit. So orphans trust and adhere to man-made rules of religion and conformity. Rules take high priority and carry often says when relationships are low, rules are long. They have to be high. Where, where relationships are strong, then you don't need as many rules. And when God says he would write his law in our hearts, he's talking about this relationship that makes the rules much shorter, but the living out of God's desire much fuller. So orphans try to power up against temptation. This is huge. They try to power up against the temptation by strict regimens of fasting, prayer, and accountability. And so here we start talking about prayer. And like prayer is a means to leverage being God. strong, a means to leveraging God, a means to twisting God's arm, the reluctant God that, but if we prove to him enough, and oftentimes we become like the prophets of Baal, uh, shouting and screaming and, and doing all kinds of gyrations to try to get his attention. That is orphan thinking. Sons value the father's presence. And they learn to stay full of the spirit, putting to death the works of the flesh by the spirit so that we don't use prayer or fasting to muscle up and do the right things. We know that that transformation comes by the Holy Spirit. It is the work of the Holy Spirit. The same could be said about accountability groups. There's a certain strength and, and new Christians certainly need fellowship and relationship. They need to see what holiness looks like. But if we think accountability groups is the way we're going to stay holy, then we're putting uh, we're putting a burden on our friends that they were never intended to carry. It's an inside out holiness that he's working in us. Mm -hmm. So we could do two more. Orphans are driven to master information and techniques as sin management systems. 
So the, thinking that information brings transformation via obedience. If they just, like these people are living in sin, I just have to tell them how what they're doing is wrong. And it's like, you think they don't know? <laughs> like yeah. like it's it's not information that gives us the power to change or the or to overcome temptation it is not information it's transformation and again we've said all these things we're just wanting to make sure we're all on the same page again sons seek to live in the awareness of the father's love we live by revelation not by information and there's a huge difference between those two is this revelation is the one that brings transformation. We say that every breakthrough in our lives is preceded by a breakthrough in revelation. So it is Holy Spirit who brings revelation. How many of you have had an aha moment that immediately changed your want tos, changed your desires? Holy Spirit brings something as revelation. And all of a sudden, along with that revelation comes the power to live it out. So it is the transformation comes via through revelation as we abide in the fellowship of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so finally, we, we would say that orphans use worship and prayer as levers to bring the presence of God and assume that being in the presence means fullness. And so we look at God's presence as this external thing that's happening, and we're going to use the tools that we have to try to get God to come and do something unusual. We're always looking for the thing. We thingify God and we thingify the relationship. We're looking for the thing. Whereas sons see worship and prayer as an invitation to an ongoing conversation where we are joining into the conversation of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and we get to participate in the conversation. So I'm going to bounce it over back to you. So you know that my that. delight and part of my assignment is, um, and I, I assume it's going to be my assignment for a while, is to dig uh, deep wells concerning sonship and a revelation of sonship, revelation of the Father's heart. And we've talked about uh, the 12 tribes as a way to see into sonship, the 12 sons of Jacob. All of their names speak of sonship. We talk about uh, uh, certainly Jesus' life and ministry is exhibiting the perfect obedient son, the perfection of Israel. We, we've we looked at John 13 through 17, and this is where I want us to go here for just a few minutes. I'm going to set you up with some questions. I would ask you, you might want to just jot one or two of these questions down and then be ready to jump in. But I want to take you to a place in uh, John, it's multiple places actually, where Jesus says, if you abide in me, my words abide in you, you will ask what you will and it will be done to you. Now, the Lord's given me just a fresh turn of insight on this that I want to pass on to you and um, offer it to you to think about and pray about. And as I'm studying John 14, 15, 16, 17 again over the holidays, I find something very interesting in John 14, 21. He who has my commandments and keeps them he says, will be loved by my father. Isn't that interesting? Now, we in the Abba Foundation, Cheeky does a great job of talking about what the, the original Hebrew word for commandments is. It's not commands. It's not decree. It's not a boss or a sergeant or a general giving an order. It literally means words, the, the 10 words from God. 
if you have my words, and we've talked about keep, keep them. Keep them is not obedience by the will. Keep is to cherish, nurture, hold close. Like I did my youngest daughter when we almost lost her in the streets of New York City. And I caught her just before she hopped on a city bus, probably would have never seen her again. And for the next week, I had her little hand in my hand and her fingerprints in my palm. And I was cherishing her every second. Well, this is what Jesus is saying to us in this abiding theme. If you uh, are abiding in my words, not commands like here's the here's what you do, line up, the list. here's the list, <laughs> here's what you do. The reason we know it's not that is because Paul over in Romans chapter 14 says the mature believer has a very short list of do's and don'ts. It's the immature believer a weak conscience he talks about that has the long list. So we start with a long list of do's and don'ts. And then as we grow in the Lord and begin to know who we are and, and strengthen our relationship with him, those conscience convictions get uh, smaller and smaller. It doesn't mean you become weaker. You actually become stronger. Those things don't offend you anymore. So think about this. And, and this just, my, I hit my brakes on this one when I saw it this way. Uh, if you keep my commandments, you will be loved by my Father. Mm-hmm. How many of that, that kind of goes sideways on the inside of you? How many of you believe God's not going to love you until you keep his commandments? Because we normally interpret it as if you observe my rules, if, if you behave according to all the rules, then... God will love you. John 14, 21, he who has my commandments and keeps them will be loved of my father. And so we have to ask the question here. I'm going to give you several questions. Here's one. Is the father's love for you conditional upon you obeying commands? Did he not love you before you ever obeyed a command? Did he not love you before he even sent his own son? So this verse has to mean something else. And I I want to just kind of lay this out here for you. This is, we're just starting a series here at Table of Friends about how to read the Bible. And, And here's one of these places. When you come to a place in the scripture and it looks like it goes directly against everything else you know about God, then you need to understand there's something you're not seeing right You don't have the whole picture or you're misinterpreting some of the words. And of course, the King James brethren uh, were a a Puritan army, if you will, that were definitely interpreting the words a certain way. So we would ask the question, is the Father's love for you conditional upon you obeying the commands? Now, how many of you know the flesh wants to tell you that's the truth? Your soul and the sense of guilt wants to tell you that's the truth. And the devil certainly wants you to think if you mess up in some way, you're on the outside looking in. You have to somehow do penance and work your way back in to the presence of God. I find it very interesting. I'm going to, I'm going to take a little side trail here for a second. We have this idea now that if leaders fail in the church, uh, they have to go on a two or three year restoration process. Uh, I find it interesting that that Peter failed miserably and 50 days later, he's preaching the first sermon. 
on the birthday of the church. So transformation is more than just a two-year stint of rehabilitation. That's just throwing that out there for you. I'm not saying that somebody fails and there's nothing that needs to be done. That's not what I'm saying. I am saying that when we see something like this in the scripture, that seems to imply that the Father's love for us is conditional upon our obeying commands, keeping the rules, we have to understand that goes directly against everything else Jesus shows us about the Father. So what could that mean? So uh, let me just give you a few questions here, and we won't get to all of these, but uh, something for us to think about. The same Holy Spirit who convicts us of our sonship, crying, Abba, Father, Romans 8, 15 and 16, is the same Holy Spirit who prays through us according to the will of God, Romans 8, 26 and 27. So it brings us to a question. What is the impact connection, the impact connection between a revelation of sonship and fruitfulness in prayer? Again, I'm not saying that if you don't have a an up-to-date, powerful revelation of sonship, you're not going to get your prayers answered. I find that God's grace covers us, especially when we're young, in the things of the Lord. Have you ever seen somebody that just come to the Lord and everything they prayed got answered? <laughs> it is amazing to see God's grace work that way. And yet we need to see the connection between the Holy Spirit, who is confirming and bearing witness of our sonship, and his ongoing role in bringing us into an ongoing conversation with the Father so that we're praying according to the will of God. So the question again would be, since the same Holy Spirit who convicts us of sonship is the one who prays through us, what is the connection between a revelation of sonship and, full, and, and fruitfulness in prayer? in prayer? Prayer, again, as conversation, two-way conversation. Next question is, how does a revelation of sonship change the things we pray about? How does a revelation of sonship change the things we pray about? Am I still praying uh, for sound bites? Am I still praying for just answers to who, what, when, how is it going to happen, when? Or do I come to a place where I know that the Holy Spirit is unfolding that in my life and, and I can rest? So prayer becomes something else more than just petitioning God for the things that I need uh, every day. What else is it? How does a revelation of sonship change the things we pray about? Thirdly, then, if I know I'll have what I need to have when I need to have it, to what degree do I need to ask for things? Okay, I'm, I'm messing with you a little bit here, but intentionally. To what degree do I need to ask for things if I know I'll have what I need to have when I need to have it. Well, of course, we understand Jesus told us to ask, said we have not because we ask not. But the word ask is what I'm going to get us to here in just a second. The next question is, when Jesus speaks of abide in me and I in you, what does he mean? Does he mean, quote, scriptures all day, memorize scriptures? What does he mean? If you abide in me and I abide in you. Clearly, it's not just a legal position, not just a legal standing. We say, well, I'm in Christ and Christ is in me and that's it. Well, yes, we understand that. We understand the legal standing. We have, by the Holy Spirit, been made into a seamless union with Jesus. But if Jesus knew that was going to be the case, why would he tell us 
to, in this ongoing sense, abide in him and his words abide in us. Then how does abiding in his words ensure that we, that what we ask for is granted? This is John 15, seven. Ask me anything. It'll be done for you. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask anything that you will. Doesn't that sound to you like it's kind of a carte blanche that I can just go to Santa Claus or to the Sears and Robux catalog and just ask him for whatever I want. And if I'm abiding well enough in his word, then it's just going to drop on me. Or does that mean something else? Does that verse end up playing to our orphan instincts of I need more? So this is the way that I get it. In what other ways does a revelation of sonship transform prayer? In what other ways does a revelation of sonship transform prayer? And how do we cultivate an ongoing conversation that is transformational? This is the big one. And I think this is what Jesus is getting at. And uh, you see this. I mean, these are, these are loaded questions. But in what way, how do we cultivate, cultivate an ongoing conversation uh, that is transformational to us? these words that are living words. So John 14, 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. That's the new King James version. Keep means to cherish, to nurture, to treasure. It is not speaking of obey out of willpower. Nurture, treasure, the thing that you love the most, the thing you will not let out of your sight, the thing that you're holding close to your heart. He says, nourish, nurture, cherish my words then obey commandments. But he doesn't say obey commandments. He says, nurture my words. If you keep my commandments should be translated. If you nourish and cherish my words, then there's a conversation going on. That's going to be very fruitful for you. A uh, mirror Bible says in your loving me, you will greatly value and treasure the prophetic conclusion of my ministry. In other words, what my life poured out is doing in you. In your loving me, you will greatly value and treasure the prophetic, uh, the prophetic conclusion of my ministry. So that word there, uh, commandment, is in tole, in tole in the Greek, and it means assignment or words. So in the ongoing conversation that we have by the Holy Spirit, doesn't mean we're talking to God out of our mind all the time. Paul says, I'll pray with my spirit, I'll pray with my understanding also. In the ongoing conversation we have with God, and how's that going to happen? Well, we'll talk about that some. Uh, this is where our assignments come from. This is how we know we're on track. This is how the Father keeps us in his business as sons that are full partners in the Father's business. Through relationship and intimacy with Jesus, we carry on the conversation and take on his assignments as our assignments. The things that are on his heart now are on our heart because we stay in conversation, or the other word is communion with, with him. So we would start asking questions, right? This is a good conversationalist knows how to ask the right questions. If I want to stay in conversation with God daily, moment by moment, whether it's audible or not, uh, the, the best way to do that is to take the things that are happening to me during the day and begin to ask the father about that. Lord, how do you see that? What do you want to say to me about this? What are you telling me in this happening here? This seems different. 
So we're back to John 14, 21. He who has my commandments and keep them will be loved by my Father. And so we'll start with this first question. I'd like to just hear your response. Is the Father's love for you conditional upon you obeying commands? And if not, then what is Jesus saying to us there? Anybody want to jump in that question or any of the questions? First, I might all just say, does this make sense to you? Are we talking in a way that would be interesting and helpful? Good to see you, Jeremy. Holly, bless you guys. They're Miss you. Their hands, so go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead, Jeremy and yeah. Holly. Yeah. Yeah. So this was a, a huge uh, thing for me in growing up and something I meditated into. John 14 became a landing place for me for quite some time. And, it, and I did a bunch of word study and um, I really appreciate Brian Simmons in the Passion Translation because he changes a little bit of how we read this. Instead of it saying, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments, or when you obey, you'll be loved. It actually says, loving me empowers you to obey. And then we have to come back to John's revelation that Stop says... Just say it, first, Jeremy. Stop just saying, yeah. Jeremy. Say that again. Repeat the Passion Translation yeah. part of that. Yeah, that so would be worth both, writing both down. In, both in verse 15 and in verse 21, it actually says, loving me empowers you to obey my words, empowers you to cherish my words, empowers you to, to care for and to revel relish in what I'm saying to you. So it's the intimacy of relationship that actually empowers our behavior. Empowers 100%. So then if you go to John's revelation in 1 John 4, where it says, not that you have loved God, but God has loved you first. So then the starting place becomes our receiving of the Father's love, which empowers us. That obedience becomes a natural byproduct. Abiding becomes a natural byproduct of receiving the love. And verse 21 becomes a promise instead of a command. If yes. the, the promise is that when you are abiding in the love of God, when you're remaining in it, when his words are remaining in you, his his love is remaining in you, you're you're feasting on his faithfulness, you're feasting on his goodness, you're living in the revelation of his nearness and intimacy, then the promise is you'll experience the Father's love. So it's not that so, you're God's waiting to love you. The Father isn't right. waiting to love you until you get your act together. What it is is that in the in the experiential knowledge of receiving the Father's love, you will automatically begin to walk in and remain in the words that he's saying because at the core of every human being is the need to be loved and valued. So what's basically happening is your soul is coming into a place of rest as it receives the love of the Father and all of the things that would normally stir up anxiety or or the 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 lack messages or the self-protection messages begin to be soothed by the love of God and it's actually easy for us to remain in his words and to cherish the things that he's saying and I would say that if we aren't in if we're not I'll answer the abiding question so the word abide literally means to remain to say to stay to be seated um it would also be compared to when Jesus tells the disciples go and tarry 
um, until the spirit comes upon you in power, like go and remain, stay. So this abiding place is us resting in the father's words. What is he speaking to us? Jesus is saying, remain in my words, remain in my love, stay in that place. Let that become your language. And then you will experience the love that we have for you because everything the father is saying is connected to love. So, so can I suggest we change this one word, uh, which to me is breaking something open for me. Yes. Stay in the father's love, stay in his words. But does that mean read the Bible all day? No, stay in the conversation, stay in the conversation. The father wants an ongoing conversation with us. He wants to walk with us in the cool of the day. He wants to talk with us. He wants to even talk to us while we're asleep. He wants to train our thoughts in the night season. So this, this is changing something for me. This is igniting me and stirring me to turn everything into a conversation with the father. Uh, Lord, why do I get stuck at the train, the train crossing four times a day? <laughs> uh, interesting conversation. Why, why do people keep treating me this way? Why does that happen? What are you trying to say with me here? And, uh, and uh, for me, the Lord begins to open up all kinds of things that I didn't used to look to as a way for him to speak to me. It could be the weather. It could be something that happens uh, repeatedly, but it causes me to say, wait, Father, what are you saying? Or it causes me to keep worship on my heart, causes me to just keep worshiping him. So I'm doing some of the talking and I'm doing some of the listening abide in my words. I want to just suggest to you, and this is what we're saying at table of friends. I want to suggest to you that you could write this in between the lines in your, in your scriptures where it says abide in my commandments. You could write in there, stay in the conversation, abide, stay in the con keep the conversation going. This is what the Holy spirit. Do you ever think there's a time the Holy spirit goes mute on the inside of you? You think there's ever a time the Holy Spirit refuses to talk because you're not acting right? He's going to give you the cold shoulder, you know, the cold treatment for three days. Oh, no, uh, I'm not going to have the present. No, the Holy Spirit is always on. He's seen us at our worst, and he doesn't leave. He doesn't flee when we make a mistake. Uh, and that's wonderful. If we're in, and you know, the psychologist and the, and the, uh, the uh, counselors will tell you, you can't work on what you don't talk about. You can't work on what you're not willing to talk about. And so why would the Holy Spirit not want to talk to you about everything? Uh, he's not going to give you the cold shoulder because you behave wrong. Any other thoughts on that? Jump in on what uh, Jeremy's saying. Andres. I, I was thinking about uh, when you read the Bible, you, you need to know who is God talking or the author of the book talking because mm -hmm. sometimes he's talking to Israel. Some other times he's talking to, you know, the church and some other times are talking to the Gentile. So I think that many verses are directed to the people that was based on the Italian law, you know, eye for an eye. And mm -hmm. so I think when I think about that, I think uh, when, when Jesus is teaching his disciples to pray, and, and when you read the text, it says, if you don't forgive, then the Father will not forgive you. 
but it is it's a big contrast because if you read the Bible, then you will realize that all of your sins were forgiven. Already. So so it's not a it's not a condition, you know. So I need to know, and I think that it, it was Carbart who said that the Bible is the word of the word of God, contains the word of God, and it could be the word of God. So I, I think that is not a condition that, that mm -hmm. I have to keep that conversation with the word, not with a book. That's right. The living word, yes. So you're talking about the cultural and historical context uh, of a thing, and that certainly helps us to keep from thinking that we're under Old Testament laws, commandments, those things that were actually given to protect the people because they didn't know better. Anybody else a thought? You comment on that. I was just reading in, in Romans, and um, I think it was this morning I was reading Romans 9. And, man, if you read that 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 portion just like at face value, it sounds like God is in the business of, of hardening some people's hearts and being merciful to people, destroying some people. And he's like, who are you? You're a lump of clay, and who are you to say to your maker you can't do it? But Paul very clearly tells them that, I'm writing to you in terms that you can understand. So to your point, Andres, we have to know like who's who's writing it, to whom he's writing. He's writing to Roman people who have Roman way of thinking of law established. And, and what the Lord had been showing me about that is even way back in Exodus, where the Lord tells Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. Our default understanding, or this used to be my understanding, is God is going to choose to be merciful to some and not to others. When you see it through the lens of Jesus and, the, and how huge the mercy of God is, he's saying, don't get offended that I have mercy at people that you don't think are worthy of my mercy. Don't get offended that I have compassion on people that you don't think are worthy of my compassion. So the contrast is not to say God can, God will harden some and, and be merciful to others. He's saying... God, who could do it, is going to show mercy beyond your understanding. He's going to show mercy not just to the to Israel who keeps the law. He's going to show mercy to the Gentiles as well. So you have to embrace that God's mercy is much bigger. So I think that's a great example of, of what you're saying, Andres, that, that we need to know, we, we really need to pay attention to Who's who's writing it and who's and who's the audience? I think the same thing happens in this one where it says, He who keeps my commandments and keeps them will be loved by my father. Well, that's that's passive voice. And passive voice implies that we are the recipients of the action. And so the big question there is it do, does our does our abiding in the conversation, does our responding to his initiative, does it change God's love for us? Or does it change our experiencing of God's love for us? God's love for us is never changed, never conditioned. But as we have said in other of these forums, it doesn't mean that our behavior doesn't matter. It does matter, but for a different reason. It matters because on our side of the equation, our experiencing of it is different. And so as Jeremy was saying, it becomes, I hate the, the term vicious circle because that's always negative. There should, is there a positive counterpart to vicious circle? Uh, yes, but I can't think well, of it right now. Anyway, it's, it's this, it's like a snowball effect that the more you receive the father's love, the more you abide in the conversation, the more you do what he says, the more you can trust him, the more you can receive his love. And it just keeps ever, ever increasing. 
so much I want to say, but I want to hear what you're saying, what you're thinking. Anybody else? You want me to reread some of the questions for you? Andres, is your hand up again? Because Oh, okay. I don't know if that was a new... Nathan, you have something? Can you hear me? Yes, sir. Great. Yeah, the when you when you mentioned the 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 passive of that, that's something we experienced. That was the very first thing I thought of when you asked, is you know, the love of God conditional upon our behavior just off that verse. And and I think Romans 5 8 is a clear no, that's the wrong inter that's the wrong interpretation, you know. Uh for God so loved the world that he gave, you know. And anyway, um I wrote I wrote down as we were talking about that, I think we can cut ourselves off from experiencing God's love when we fail to obey or said another way that we would work against what God intends his love to do in us when we, when we disobey. And uh, it's interesting. We're talking about this because I've been reading a lot. Um, Gap of Sienna, I posted a quote in there in the chat that she wrote on the love of God. And one of the things that she said was, just super profound to me is that God is more willing to pardon than we have been to sin. And so it's, it's that to me is proof that it's not really about God. God needs us to behave in order to give his love, but no, he's willing mm -hmm. to pardon. His love is proactive, even in the face of him knowing we're going to make a mistake. And, and, he, and if we have that mindset that he's more willing to pardon, we won't fall into the orphan lie that sin sets me back with God. Like I have to make up for yes. it. And I, you know, I shouldn't, but I always feel compelled to make sure that we're talking, uh, using the word sin in, uh, the new Testament way, in the Hebraic way, sin is not primarily a behavior. Uh, sin is separation from the father or, or looking at source or looking at resources as the answer instead of the source, uh, God as the answer. And so when we begin to misbehave or disobey, uh, that's not the sin. That is the byproduct of sin. It's the byproduct of our separation from the Father as the one who fills us with everything that we will ever need. When we ignore him as the source, then we start looking to resource as the answer, and then we're going to begin to act, act in ways that we would say are sins. But uh, sin, of course, fundamentally is separation from the Father's love. If we're being filled with the Father's love, living in this conversation, we're going to realize that he is the source for everything, and we can receive that. To, and that, to me, is where the revelation comes, that I'll have what I need to have when I need to have it, and it enables me to, to rest in him. And I had your hand up. Do you want to share what Jump in. your thought was? Sure. Um, so one of the things just talking about how does it transform prayer? Um, one thing that came up in my heart, just as you guys were talking is how God in the relationship, um, between his sons and himself, like the prayer can even be the beginning of the conversation. So he like drops the question. Mm -hmm. Um, and that is that continuing cycle of conversation um, where you think you came up with it because yeah. <laughs> praying for this thing when it was his idea all along. Um, and I've just, I'm seeing that come to fruition in my life and so good. it's just, it's a beautiful thing. So I just wanted to share that. Yes. Yeah, beautiful. I remember Jack Hayford saying, 
uh, one time that you cannot pray without engaging all three members of the Trinity. Uh, none of us have out of our own volition, a desire to pray. Any prayer that you've ever prayed was a response to something the Holy Spirit ignited in you to do, even if it was out of desperation. The Holy Spirit prompts us, ignites our prayer. We go through Jesus to the Father. Every prayer that we pray is an engagement in conversation with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Anybody else want to jump in? I'm eager to hear what you have to say. You want to throw out one of the questions specifically? Yeah. When Jesus speaks of abide in me, what does he mean? That's a, that's a T-ball question. When he speaks of abide in me, what does he mean? Anybody? Jeremy. Jeremy. Or Holly. Holly. <laughs> Sylvia. <laughs> Go ahead, Holly. The, How are you? Stay, remain, meditate. You know, I, the, the, the father was telling me some years ago about like, I'm like, how do I capture those thoughts? And he says, anything you think on for 30 seconds is meditation. And so what am I partnering with in that moment? What am I actually thinking on? Am I trying to even figure out where the fear thought is coming from? Like, stop partnering with it and come back to the words. We've been talking about what the father has spoken, the words he's spoken, come back to what he's spoken. And even in, sometimes when we are so filled with fear, we lose the the channel our ear is no longer tuned to the right channel and so even coming back and talking to ourselves reminding listen up self this is the word that the father has spoken over me bringing ourselves back into that um awareness of uh the voice of the father the voice of holy spirit and staying in that space um and letting yourself just think on it ruminate on it um it's like a really good steak <laughs> let yourself yes. just sit in that and yes. and let it literally digest into you and and as you do that abiding is the byproduct and it positions yes. yourself to actually be able to receive what the father died for us to have which was all of him i'll add so one meditating thing to in that. the word go yeah. ahead I'll add to that. There was even some practical things, even in the Old Testament, where in, in Deuteronomy, when when God was speaking this to the children of Israel, he was he was saying, write it on your doorposts, like like tie it around your necks. Like this was a part. Talk about it with your kids every day. Like there was a place of just um, and I know that we've done this in our family and our kids is that that there's a place where we talk about the love of God on it's a part of our normal conversation. We talk about how we're experiencing and we're talking about the things that he invited us into for the day uh, to experience and to have encounters with. And so um, it's, it's taking stewardship over the way that God is loving you. One of the things we ended at faith foundry out here in Oregon uh, in the month of December was taking responsibility for being loved. Like how I'm being loved by the father. How am I taking responsibility for that? And I think that abiding is, is that. Mm -hmm. So good. Yeah. Sylvia. Yes. Okay. I'm here with my friends with triad. Look. Hey, blessings ladies. <laughs> Got the triad in today. Yes. yes, yes. It was just, it was just a perfect deal. We just have our triad and we finish with you guys. Okay. Yes, I just want to say something about Abide. I just love the way that the Father always invites you to discover his intense love mm -hmm. 
that one day I was walking, I was trying to have a conversation with him. And he says, what about if we don't talk? What about if we just keep keep your mind and your heart just steady on peace? And he says, don't expect for me to talk to you. And I was like, you're supposed to be talking to me, Father, and say, no, let's try this. Just walk, enjoy, and just quiet your mind in my presence. Can you try? And you know what? For me, it was a new discovery that he doesn't need to talk. I don't need to talk, but I'm okay just by walking and enjoying his presence in different way, but by no talking. Because for me, it's a huge challenge. I love to communicate. I love my friends. I love that. That's the way that I related with the father. But he's telling me, I'm taking you to a different perspective. Do not talk. Don't think anything. I don't Mm -hmm. And I will not talk to you. Just enjoy my presence. For me, it was a new way of abiding with no talking. That's beautiful. I also find if I go very long without spending time in the scriptures, I'm usually in the scriptures every morning. It's it's in the scriptures that we put ourselves in to having a conversation with God. We we're reading maybe historical narrative in the old Testament. We're reading stories, and if you don't read by putting yourself into that story, Lord, do you, is there something in me like what was in David? Is there anything that I see in David's life that you want to talk to me about? Is there something in Saul's life that you want to talk to me about? Anytime we're reading scripture, we must engage it as conversation, put ourselves in the stories. You, you've all heard me tell the story when I was reading Mark chapter five and the woman with the issue of blood is pressing in. And, um, and I'm reading that and, uh, I'm saying, Lord, I want that kind of tenacity. He says, well, when are you going to Quit seeing yourself as the one reaching for the hem of my garment and start seeing yourself as wearing the garment that people are reaching for. Well, that, that shifted everything for me in that picture where all of a sudden I see myself as him giving something away instead of always trying to get something for myself. Read the scriptures in conversation with the father, meditate in the word of God, the old Testament, God gave them a lots of, uh, practical tools like the, the menorah, the, the, the straps on the hands and the head, they didn't have the spirit of God in their heart to quicken that they were, they were not born again. They had to have like, um, a bit in the horse's mouth to help them train to the word of the Lord. You and I have the Holy spirit quickening us. If we will stay fluid and keep asking questions, Lord, what do you want to say to me today? And he may say, like he does to Sylvia, just be quiet. Let's talk. Let's let's just walk. And he, who knows how he's going to do it. He might bring somebody to you that would have a fresh word for you as well. Many ways that that could happen. What's amazing is how he can communicate beyond words. And many times it's our many words that get in the way of the conversation. You know, so, so like Sylvia said, he just has to invite us to just be with him so he can say what he wants to say without without our mind being engaged in the process and that's a that's a beautiful i love that that picture because that speaks of such an intimacy and and i think it's to the degree that we can receive the father's love that we can be comfortable in being with him without feeling the pressure to be saying something or doing something silence is okay yeah right, right. it's okay i want to that's- 
Michael and Jeanette. Go. Yes, Michael. Michael, go ahead and tell, share your. Good to have you, Michael. Yeah. Hey. Um, I I love the conversation you guys are having. It. You know, I was on a prayer walk today, and I just I noticed I was kind of babbling on and on, and I just I'm like, I should I should probably be quiet because I felt like I was just saying a lot of gibberish. And when I quieted my mind, quieted my mouth, I just, I began to really just enjoy God's presence, like Sylvia was saying. And I, I don't know if I've ever been aware of this until this conversation, but relationships are never really rushed. And I, I can think of maybe one time in the last few years where I've had like 30 minutes with my fiance and, uh, and that felt rushed and it just didn't feel natural. And so most of the time with the people that we value, we sit down with them, we spend the time that we need to just talk about whatever's we want to talk about. And, and that's how it is with the Lord. We, we should never rush him and, and he doesn't like to be rushed. And so when we, when we take the time to really just sit down with him, value his presence, value sitting in silence and, and, and recognizing he's holy, he's, he's whole in every way. Like it, that's where I think life really comes from. So really good. Really good. Thank you. So good to hear from you. Who Jeanette. else? Jeanette. Hello. Well, hey, I, from Mexico. Hello from Thanks Mexico. for joining us. Yeah. Well, I just continue continuing with that thought of silence in a conversation. The only way to be able to be with someone else and be in silence is because you have a true relationship, true personal relationship. If you don't know someone, you feel uncomfortable to be in silence. You need, you feel the pressure to speak, to talk to about the weather or something, but you are not able to be in silence. That uh, that needs a, a really deep connection to just be there and be receiving and be communicating with each other without words. And that brought me to the place of the Garden of Eden, you know, that is a place where we should always be. When God was there with Adam and Eve, every day in the cool of the day, having conversations. And that is awesome that I always think about that. How will that feel to be in that cool of the day, every day, in a daily basis with God, mm-hmm. just having a conversation, just having a relationship, right? Beautiful. Uh, and is- you know, here's one of the things we don't see in the scriptures. We we may assume, but the Bible doesn't tell us how long Adam walked with God in the cool of the day. We don't know if that was a day, a week, a month, an eon. We don't know how long before Satan came in, but it was the pattern. Uh, God walking with Adam, filling him with his love, uh, Adam learning to walk with him and receive, and and he received assignments in the in in those conversations. Notice he was given the assignment to name all the animals. 
Uh, there's assignments in the conversation. God, what are you up to? Well, just keep the conversation going. And we can have some some cool little ways. I mean, I've I've talked, most of you have heard me talk about the little acronym of praise. Present yourself to the Lord, raise your hands, affirm that he's God, invite the Holy Spirit to come, sing a song, and then express thanksgiving. That's a way that I kind of kickstart in the mornings. I get out of bed and I, I just begin to go through that process of offering myself up to him and and making that audible. And I found that's that's breakthrough for me to get me out of my head, get me out of my own sleepiness and just connect with God. By the time I sit down to worship or read scripture or something, I'm, I'm connected in a conversation already. So I want you to think about ways to do that. Let me leave this with you because we want to respect your time. Somebody else raising their hand. Andres, jump in. Yeah, I was I was thinking also about uh, those. I think that we need to be more conscious about God's presence because he, he's there. I think that is something that we we need to renew in our minds because we we feel I th I think that there's a big mistake what uh, that we are pastors or, or Christians preach and is uh, mm -hmm. when we teach the people that uh, you get away from God you right. you never get yeah. away from God you may <laughs> yeah. get away from a church an institution some uh, dynamics uh, some you know like disciplines but you never go away from God because mm -hmm. he is with you and he's inside of you is is something is something geographic uh, and and I think that we need to be more conscious about his presence in every moment. So I love the moments when God can ask us questions. Like, for example, when he asked he ask Adam, he knows everything. And he's asking, Adam, where are you? And and it's not that he doesn't know. It's, it's because he wants us to know oh, where are we. Yeah. Like, like when he is asking Elijah, uh, why are you here? No, he's in, in this cave, in this mountain. <laughs> why are you here? But I think that the real question is, why are you here in this place of desperation, loneliness, yes. confusion? Yes. Because I'm here. I'm I'm with you all the time, all of the time. So, so I think that I love when you teach about having these silent moments and asking God questions like mm -hmm. What do you want to tell me? And and just be quiet for a, for a while. I find, and and this is what I want to leave with you tonight. Thank you. I, I would love to hear from John Drackett. If John is, John may be reading a theological textbook while he's while he's listening to us from Grand Junction, Colorado. Uh, in in my reading of John chapter fourteen through seventeen, what I begin to find was this turned into a rabbinical Q and A. You understand in the in the Jewish studies, you learn through questions. You ask questions, and you'd answer a question with a question. And this is how the rabbis studied the scriptures by asking questions. And when you look in this scene in John fourteen through seventeen, I'd never really noticed this before. Uh, they're asking questions and he's returning sometimes with a question, sometimes with an answer. So what I've done in my study Bible, the one that I read, I just went through and I put a Q and an A by the questions and the answers all the way through this dialogue in John 14. And it's quite interesting. And it took me to a quest of, of what does the word ask 
mean? Because in some translations, ask also can be translated pray. The disciples prayed the Lord would stay with them. So prayer is the same word, and I'm going to give you that word. It's eroteo. Eroteo is most frequently uh, translated uh, either to request for someone to do something for you or to ask a question. Catch that for just a second, and this is what I want to finish with. Because in this, he says, ask anything. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask what you will, and it shall be done to you. My mind always went to a petition. Ask for something you need, and I'll do it for you. Is that what any of you thought? Ask for what you need, and I'll do it for you. Well, I find there are plenty of those. It, it really comes down into two places. The disciples asked Jesus, um, uh, come pray for this man. Here, here's a man who's blind, um, blind Bartimaeus. Come pray for this man. Come touch this one. Come do this. They ask him to do something for them. Everybody that called on the Lord for prayer, they're asking for him to come and do something for them. But what I begin to see in this passage, in this Q&A, where Jesus is trying to tell them what's coming next. I'm about to go away from you, but I'm sending you the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit's going to take everything about me, and he's going to impart that into you. Everything that the Holy Spirit knows about me is going to be true of you, and he's going to impart that to you. So here's what I see. I'm just going to give this to you. Just one little piece on that, because I think it's significant okay. to sonship, is that just like you said, the context in that, the disciples are freaking out because Jesus is telling them he's not going to be with them anymore. And like we're used to asking questions of our rabbi. And what Jesus says, and it's interesting that in the Spanish translations, it uses the word preguntar, not pedir, which is to ask questions of, not to ask for yes. things. So it's more clear in Spanish. To but ask says questions that of. In that time, you won't even have to ask me anything. You can go directly to your father and ask him. And again, I see this is a, another invitation of Jesus to the same kind of relationship that he has with the father. So this is sonship in prayer is that we can go directly to the Father and ask him the questions that we would ask Jesus if he was right here sitting in front of us, right? And so that that is the, and then it, as a byproduct of the conversation, all the things that we need will be taken care of. So we don't really have to ask for things. So this is what I'm trying to get to, is that this word ask, when Jesus uses it here uh, in John chapter 14 and John chapter 15, He's not using it as ask me for things and I will give them to you. Although we know that that is in the, in play in this specific scene, they're trying to figure out who he is and where he's going. And he said, I'm going to send you the Holy spirit and he is going to be just like me. And he's going to answer those questions. In fact, he'll take you to the father, John 16, 23. Let me just finish with it real, real quick. I'll give you a few quick examples of Matthew 16, 33, Jesus asked about who do men say that I am? He asked, what's he asking for them? He's asking them about what people, who people think he is. Mark four, the disciples asked Jesus to explain the parable. Tell us what the parable means. Matthew 21, I'll answer your question. If you answer mine, Jesus says, I want you to think conversation here. 
because you're either asking for something. This, this is my bottom line right here. You're either asking for something or you're asking about something. And when we talk about abiding in the words of the Lord, and if you abide in my words, you'll ask whatever you will, and it'll be given to you. What Jesus is really getting to is ask me questions that are in the conversation, and I will download who I am and who you are in me. This is really about conversation. So um, Luke 9, the disciples are afraid to ask him about a statement that he made. You're afraid to have a conversation about when you're afraid to ask somebody, you're not asking for some, well, sure. If you want a raise, you might be afraid to ask for a raise, but generally here he's talking about, they want to ask him a question about something. He said conversation. They're afraid to ask him John 16, five, but now I go my way. I go my way to him, to him that sent me. And none of you ask me where I'm going. This is interesting. I'm going to the one who sent me. I'm going back to the bosom of the Father, and none of you are asking me where I'm going. Interesting, and he's he's rebuffing them because they're not asking the right questions. So here's what I want to finish with. How does this impact our idea of if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you will? I don't think what Jesus is saying is, I'm going to open the piggy bank and the vault for you, mm -hmm. and you can get whatever car, whatever house, whatever thing that you want. He's not talking about things. He's saying, let's have an ongoing conversation. The Holy Spirit's moving into you, and he's going to even instruct you into what to ask about who you are in me. All right. So how does this impact our idea? I want to say asking as petition is asking for something. God, I need you to heal me. There's nothing wrong with that. But what Jesus is getting to here is asking as conversation. God, what do you want to say to me about who I am, about who you are, about who my wife is? Think of these two ways. I'm either asking for something or I'm asking about something. And Jesus says, if you abide in my words, there's going to be an ongoing conversation, and you're going to be asking me about the right things, and everything that I am is imprinted into you, and you're going to get more and more revelation of who you are. John Drackett. John, can you talk to us, bro, before we go? There he Here. Is. <laughs> hey. Good to have you. I was Grand just – uh, Yeah. I was just thinking how the global sunship forum for me is like sitting in the hot tub. You just, you just get to come and relax <clears throat> and just listen and just Until be a part of on. fellowship and all that kind of stuff. So no, I'm, uh, I'm on a walk just enjoying our time together. And, uh, man, God's just been wrecking me. So uh, if I get emotional, it's not on purpose. Uh, I've been teaching a series called the father's heart and it's, it's been something that's just pierced kind of who this whole message of sonship and what it's, uh, this, this, I'm, I don't want to kidnap anything. I agree fully with abiding and, and understanding from, uh, abiding in the knowing that he's had his heart has been set on us and for us. Yes since the old Testament, it's always been there. 
and um, we're just going through this discovery process and revelation and growing in sonship of what that actually looks like. Mm. Mm. Um, yeah, and I'm, I'm, uh, <laughs> I've had a couple moments where I think the Holy Spirit is just kind of come and undone me. <laughs> uh, Wonderful place to and, be. In a growing, in a in a way of growing, in a revelation of of that, and um, Garen Beckman, there at Table of Friends, he and I were chatting when we were doing the conference, and uh, he I asked him the question. I, I believe it ties back with the the going from. Uh, all right, let me finish my thought. We were we were sitting around his table one morning, talking about. Uh, does the father include immature sons in the mission of what he's doing? And, and he said, no. And he brought it out brilliantly. He said, you know, as a technon, we just kind of run around the house as a immature son and daughter. We just, what you said, Gary, you just got saved and all your prayers got answered. <laughs> right. And then we grow in that revelation of sonship yeah. and we yeah. go to, we grow up into a, a huios or a mature son and daughter, and we become about the father's business and we become about his heart for mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. we're at. And, and I believe it's part of uh, growing in that revelation of sonship that everywhere we go, uh, we're planting little seeds of sonship everywhere. Yes. So good, man. Keep getting wrecked. God's taking us deeper and deeper. He's speaking a word to us at table of friends. He wants to take us deeper into his glory. And, uh, that's so that we can be on his mission. I'm, I'm delighted to have this time together. Wish we had two or three hours to do it. I want to respect your time. Um, but if you have some more thoughts on the questions or anything else, feel free to email us. Uh, let's talk about it. Let's, let's keep a conversation going. I think this is a key. Certainly it's something the Lord's saying to me, ask me what to ask you. You know, Cheeky taught me this years ago. Uh, Let's ask the father what he wants to give us today. What does he want to give us that he wants us to ask him for? And I just want to bless you. Father, I thank you that you are speaking to us by your Holy Spirit. I thank you that we are learning to abide in the ongoing conversation. Holy Spirit, you stir that up. You are the great conversationalist. You even teach us what questions to ask. You make us the master of the prophetic question for our own lives and for others as well. Father, I thank you that you open the hearts of people who are temporarily closed to you by a prophetic question that gets to their purpose, that touches who they really be and what they're called to do. Thank you for training us in that. We want to be on your mission. We want to be walking in the conversation so that your life, your fruitfulness is seen through us. I speak blessing over every person listening today. We speak health and healing over Rachel today, right now, strength for Rick, for anybody else that's having uh, spats of uh, sickness or flu bug or anything else in their house. We declare that it will not come near our dwelling in Jesus' name. We thank you that we have this heritage of the Lord. Blessings on you. Thank you for your faithfulness, your love, your loving kindness. Thanks for joining us. We'll have another session like this. We're just 
ticking through several issues that we think will be helpful for us to connect the dots. What does sonship mean to this? What does it mean to prayer? What does it mean to evangelism? What does it mean to family? What does it mean to marriage? How does sonship impact our life in the church? How does it impact our life at, at the job? We want to help people connect the dots, how sonship impacts every area of our life. And I'm telling you, it is a bottomless well. It is a bottomless well, as deep as God is. Um, everywhere I go, I see it now. So love you, bless you. Health and healing on you and your house. Thank you for joining us, Jeremy. Let's let's get on the phone. Let's talk. Andres, we want to come see you. We want to come see all of you. So good to have uh, Sivia and her whole triad with us. Blessings yeah. on that triad for joining us together. Thank you. Y'all have a great week. Stay warm, stay dry, be filled with the Spirit.